He's had to hit some high notes there on a full stomach. I know that was a challenge, but you did it. Take your Bibles, and we're going to continue in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and we're going to pick up where we left off this morning. we pick up in uh, verse 7. In our scripture reading this morning, we already read our text for this afternoon. But, uh, you know, for many people... Life consists of getting up, going to work, coming home, eating dinner, spending a couple hours reading or watching TV, being on the computer, going to bed, and then repeating that for 40 years or so. And the goal I've often seen people to have is to save up enough money to buy an RV so they can travel around, take videos of national parks before they die. Now, not everyone has that goal, but a good many people do. And they live like, uh, to live like that, I think, would be a real waste of one's life. As believers, we have a higher purpose. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33 that we're to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, we may do some of those things. We may travel. We may do some sightseeing. But ultimately... Whether God grants us relatively long lives or short lives, our focus should be on using our time, our abilities, our resources that God has entrusted us to seek his kingdom. Now, when you think about the life of Jesus, I think it's amazing that in three short years, he chose, trained, and equipped the disciples to carry on what he began. And to do that, he had to use his time rightly. And our text gives us a glimpse of how he used his time rightly and how he taught his disciples to do the same. Jesus was ministering on the far side of the Jordan River to avoid the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem who were seeking to kill him. And when word came that his friend Lazarus in Bethany near Jerusalem was sick, John says that because Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was, And Jesus knew that the highest good for them was not just for Lazarus to be healed, but for them to get a bigger vision of God's own glory, and so that their faith, and so also that their faith would grow. But then, after the two days, he said to his disciples, here in verse 7, let us go into Judea again. Now, by saying Judea, rather than Bethany, or Instead of saying, let us go to Lazarus, Jesus is triggering a shocked response, so to speak, from the disciples in verse 8, when they say, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? And notice Jesus says, let us go. Let us go. And the disciples replied, goest thou thither again? You see the difference? <laughs> Reminds me of a joke between about Lone Ranger and Tonto, his Indian sidekick. Lone Ranger said, Tonto, we're surrounded by hostile Indians. What are we going to do? Tonto replied, replied what do you mean, we, white man? Well, with Thomas 
Thomas's gloomy resignation down in verse 16. They all go back to Judea with Jesus, but probably thought it was a suicide mission. But Jesus replies uh, and shows how, in spite of the threats against his life, he used time rightly for the furtherance of God's purpose. Now, if we apply that to us, we use time rightly when we make wise decisions in light of eternity, fully surrendered in doing God's will. So we want to consider these three main factors this afternoon. First of all, we must live in light of eternity. God has given each of us a certain amount of time to be used in light of eternity. To the disciples' incredulous question, Jesus replied here in verse 9 and 10, Are there not twelve hours in the day? Some of you are saying, boy, I wish I just had to work twelve hours a day. Some of you work more than 12 hours sometimes. But he says, are there not 12 hours in a day? I think he's talking about daylight, basically, because he says, if any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. Well, there weren't any clocks back then, and they didn't have any LED flashlights. And so... Light and darkness meant a little bit different to them than it does to us. They divided the day into 12 equal hours from the sunrise to sunset, no matter what time of the year it was. And I'd say more about what Jesus meant by this as we go, but for now, just notice here that one point of having 12 hours in a day is that all we all have the same amount of time, right? Right? Do you have any more? Somebody have more than 24 hours in a day? Uh, I don't think so. You all have 24 hours, right? And how we divide that up is, I guess, up to us in a sense. Or up to our schedules or whatever we have to do. But we've all got 24 hours every day. And if we talk about 12 hours of daylight, we all have so much time allotted to us to do what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to do for God. Now we should take advantage of the time we have because night is coming when we cannot work for God, as we saw back in chapter 9, verse 4. Now there are, I think, four things to to notice here as we live in light of eternity. First of all, time is ordained for us. From God's perspective, we cannot live longer or shorter than the time that he has ordained for us. The disciples were concerned that returning to Judea would not only get Jesus killed, but they'd probably have to die with him. But Jesus is saying a day's time is fixed. Nothing you can do to lengthen it or shorten it. He was constantly aware of the hour that the the Father had fixed for him. And if we've As we've seen repeatedly, until the hour came, no one could lay a hand upon him. Or as David said in Psalm 139, in verse 16, all of our days were written in God's book before we were born. You see, we don't live a day longer or a day shorter than he has ordained or he has chosen. And that can be a great comfort. Yet on the other side of it, we need to realize that time must be used, time used must be prudent. The word prudent, uh, we used it earlier today in our Sunday school lesson, I believe, but prudent means careful, 
and wise. Uh, David was a man who behaved himself wisely, prudently. Uh, J. Vernon McGee once told a man who had been studying the doctrine of predestination that he had become so convinced of God's sovereign protection of the believer under any or every circumstance that he said to Dr. McGee, You know, sir, I'm so convinced that God is keeping me no matter what I do that I think I could step right out into the midst of the busiest traffic and if my time had not come, I would be perfectly safe. Well, Dr. McGee replied, Brother, if you step into the midst of busy traffic, your time has come. In other words, as believers, we're invincible until our time to die. But at the same time, we don't take foolish chances with our lives and expect God to protect us. We don't live recklessly and say, well, God's going to take care of me anyway. Jesus had left Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, should that have been a big concern upon Jesus' mind? He was God. But he still didn't go there because his time had not come yet. Now, he knew that God wanted him to return to Judea. Shortly after the rising of, of, uh, raising of Lazarus from the dead, his hour would come to, to go to the cross, and we see the same thing with the Apostle Paul. There were times in his life when he wisely escaped from dangerous situations, but at other times he risked his life to take the gospel into dangerous places. We have some missionaries that go into some dangerous places. So we need the balance there between trusting God to keep us all the days that he has ordained for us, and yet at the same time being prudent, wise, sensible, and not living recklessly. Thirdly, time God gives us, or gives, is sufficient. The time God gives is sufficient. Have you ever said this? You know, there's just not enough hours in the day. (laughs) Yeah. It's because you had so much you wanted to do and you thought, boy, there's just not enough hours in the day. The time that God gives us, though, is sufficient to accomplish what he wants us to do for him. I think we need to remember that sometimes. Although Jesus was sometimes so busy that he didn't have time to eat, as we've seen in other places, he never seemed rushed or stressed out about it. Sometimes he left the needy crowds to get alone for prayer, but he always had time to do his father's work. As I've said, it's remarkable that at the end of three short years, he could pray in John 17 and verse 4, I have glorified thee on earth, I have finished the work that which, thou hast, which thou gavest me to do. And when life gets hectic, it's helpful to remember that God never gives you more to do than the time that we have to do it. Time God gives gives is sufficient. Fourthly, time must be used wisely. Now, to accomplish God's will, we need to use our time wisely in light of eternity. And as Jesus said in chapter 9, verse 4, the night cometh when no man can work. And just as there is a balance between God's sovereign protection and our being prudent and sensible, there is also a balance between using our time wisely in light of eternity and knowing our limitations. I've known people who have driven to make every minute count for eternity. I read about the famous missionary by the name of C.T. Studd. Maybe you've heard of him. Lived back in 
the 1800s to early 1900s, and he was so consumed in reaching the loss that he left his wife, who was suffering from a heart condition in England, while he went to Africa. And when he received word that she had suffered further heart complications, he refused to go home. He worked 18-hour days. He took no time off. He had no time for diversions. He expected all of his fellow workers to do the same. Even though he was a great missionary, I think he had that a little out of balance. Now maybe he could do it, but I don't think he could expect others to do it. And we would question maybe his prudence or his, his wisdom in some of those decisions that he made. But on the other hand, some Christians live with no thought of making their lives count for eternity. Except maybe going to church on Sundays, they live just as the world lives. They accumulate enough money to retire and then they live their final years for personal enjoyment. They don't give any thought on how God may want to use them in His purpose. They don't commit to serve Him because they don't want to go, want to be tied down. They aren't living wisely in light of eternity. So the first point that we can glean from Jesus' resolve here to return to Judea to raise Lazarus is that we've all been given a certain amount of time to be used in light of eternity. But how we use our time depends on the decisions that we make. And so, secondly, we must make wise decisions. How we spend our time depends a large part on our priorities and our decisions that we make in light of our priorities. Jesus' priority was to glorify God by accomplishing His work. We've seen that before and we'll see it again in John To consider how Jesus used his time, I think it's helpful to note both how he did not make decisions and how he did make decisions. And if we're going to limit ourselves to John chapter 11 here, notice how Jesus did not make decisions. First of all, he did not make decisions based on the pressure of friends or loved ones. Now we saw this in the account of Jesus' first miracle when His mother subtly suggested that he do something about the lack of wine at the wedding. But he replied, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And that comment was not an impolite in the culture as it sounds in English, but Jesus was making it clear that he would not act unless it was the Father's time for him to act. We saw the same thing in chapter 7 when Jesus' brothers advised him, to go up to the Feast of the Tabernacle, but he refused to act on their timetable. And so here, even though Jesus loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he didn't drop everything and rush to their side the moment he got word that Lazarus was sick. Rather, he acted in a way that would display the glory of God and his own glory so that the faith of his friends and his disciples would grow. Jesus did not make decisions based on friends or family. And then he did not make decisions based on the emotions of the moment. Now, no doubt in his humanity, Jesus was moved. He was concerned for the the serious situation facing his good friends, those whom he loved. But he didn't act on the basis of of his emotions. But rather, as I said, 
on what would glorify God and what would accomplish his purpose in the lives of others. Now, usually it's not wise to make decisions based on emotions that flood in during a crisis time. You know, when you're in crisis, that's not a good time to make a decision. When you're overcome by emotions, you might make the wrong decision based on that emotion. It's best to pause, to pray, to think through the situation in light of the scripture before you act. So he did not base decisions on the pressure of friends or loved ones or the emotions of the moment. Or thirdly, he did not make decisions based on the threats of his enemies. Jesus knew that his enemies were plotting to kill him, but that didn't deter him from doing the will of God. Now, while, as I said, there is a place for caution and prudence, it's also true that it's safer to be in the will of God in a place of danger than to be outside his will, to be in a place of seeming safety. You know, some parents might have some real concern about some of their children going to a mission field, which is which is faced with a lot of danger. But your children are safer on the mission field in the will of God than they are in your own home out of the will of God. So that brings us to how did Jesus make decisions? How did he make decisions? Well, he made decisions based on what would glorify God. We've said this a number of times already. We saw this in verse 4 where Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, and that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now notice there that Jesus put himself on the same level as God and his glory, which is a clear claim to his deity. Of course, Jesus raised Lazarus to relieve Martha's and Mary's sorrow and grief. And I don't know whether or not Lazarus was excited about leaving heaven to come back to earth or not. But Jesus acted on the principle that God's glory takes priority even above our relief from trials. The highest good for everyone is to gain a greater vision of God's glory in Jesus Christ. Jesus made decisions based on what would glorify God. Secondly, he made decisions based on what on walking in the light of God's presence and purposes. Now this is the point of Jesus' word picture here of walking in the day rather than at night, as we saw there in verses 9 and 10. Jesus says in verse 9 that one who walks in the day seeth the light of this world. I think there's a double reference here. On one level, Jesus is saying that those who walk during the daylight hours don't stumble, uh, do not stumble in the dark. But really, on a deeper level, Jesus is the light of the world, is he not? We saw that in chapter 8, verse 12. And those who walk in the light of his presence and his pers- purposes do not stumble. And it's always wise to make decisions based on whether you can do it with the assurance of God being with you because you're seeking to do his will. Jesus made decisions based on walking in the light of God's presence and purposes. Jesus also made decisions based on helping others to come to faith or grow in faith. Come to or grow in faith. Now, this is a story about building each person's faith in Jesus Christ. The disciples already believed in Jesus, but their faith needed to grow. 
So Jesus makes what at first sounds like an outrageous statement in verses 14 and 15. Notice there it says, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now Jesus was not glad that, Je- that Lazarus was dead, okay? But he was glad for the situation because it would result in greater faith for the disciples. Now also to the grieving Martha, Jesus says down in verse 25 and 26, says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Jesus knew that Martha already believed in him. But he wanted her faith to grow so that she believed in him as the resurrection and the life. And also, when Jesus prays aloud at the tomb, later on in verse 42, he states plainly that he did so in order that the people standing around the tomb would believe that the Father had sent him. And so one of his main goals, aims, is waiting before coming to raise Lazarus was to bring some to saving faith and to strengthen the faith of those who had already believed in him. And that should be a factor in our decisions as well about how we use our time. Will it increase our faith? How will it increase the faith of other believers? And will it help bring others who do not yet believe to a saving faith? So to use your time rightly, recognize that God has given you a certain amount of time to be used in light of eternity. To use your time rightly, you have to make wise decisions even as Jesus did. And then thirdly, we must surrender our time to the will of God. We must surrender our time to the will of God. Again, Jesus is our example here. Notice, first of all, Jesus is our example to do the Father's will. Jesus' aim was to do the Father's will and to accomplish His work. Now, we saw this when Jesus was talking with the woman of Samaria and the disciples were trying to get Him to uh, go to lunch, to eat the lunch they had brought uh, from the uh, village. They brought some takeout for Him to eat. And uh, He said, you know, my meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. He was more interested in doing God's will and his work than he was eating his uh, lunch that the disciples had brought. To do the Father's will and accomplish his work, we must be fully surrendered and committed to that goal. You must give God a blank check, so to speak, with your life. As Paul wrote in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, that's a blank check. Whatever you want, God, that's what I want to accomplish, what you want in my life. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You'll only know God's will when you're fully surrendered to Him and committed to Him, no matter what the cost. Now, as I mentioned Thomas a little while ago, Thomas here was committed, although he's not excelling yet in faith. 
But he says in verse 16, kind of miserably, okay, let's go, let us also go that we may die with him. The other disciples went along too, although they all fled in fear when Jesus was arrested, their defection was temporary. And all of them later went on to be a bold witness for Christ and most would suffer a martyr's death. So Jesus' example here is to do the Father's will. It's what he was trying to teach his disciples. I want you to do, I'm going to do God's will and I want you to do God's will. Secondly, have an eternal focus. God's will and his work always have an eternal focus. It's not temporary. It's not this worldly. But Jesus was concerned about relieving Martha's and Mary's suffering and the loss of their brother. But he was more concerned that they and the disciples grow in faith and that the unbelievers who witnessed the miracle of the raising of Lazarus would come to faith as well. Now notice that Jesus uses some a common biblical metaphor of sleep when he refers to Lazarus' death. There in verse 11. He said, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Of course, the disciples, they misunderstood this, probably because they didn't want to go back to Judea, number one, where their lives would be endangered, but... So they said, Lord, if he's sleeping, do it, let him sleep. Uh, he shall do well. You know, I've always heard that sleep is good when you're sick. Some of you are maybe a little sick right now. No, uh, sleep is good. If you're not feeling well and you're asleep, that's, that's uh, just because you ate too much. Anyway, Jesus was speaking not of sleeping as we do. But he was speaking of Lazarus' death. And that goes, he goes on to plainly state that in verse 13 and 14. The sleep of death refers to the body, not the soul. The Bible's clear that at death, the soul immediately goes to be with the Lord, but the body sleeps in the grave until the day when Christ returns. And at that point, the dead in Christ shall rise and receive perfect eternal bodies suited for new heavens and earth. And the wicked will also be raised in judgment and cast into the lake of fire forever. Because life is short and eternity is forever, doing God's will and God's work must always keep the eternal we must always keep the eternal in focus. Now, we should help people with their earthly problems. We are concerned about the physical needs of one another. But the main thing is to help others come to believe in Jesus so that they can go to heaven. And so we need to focus on having an eternal focus. Now, doing God's will requires us to Thirdly, walk in holiness and by faith. Walk in holiness and by faith. Now, let's take the first part of it. Walking in holiness. That is implied by the metaphor of walking in the day or the light. God's will is our sanctification or growth in holiness. In typical fashion, John doesn't offer a mediating position where you walk in twilight. He says, either you walk in the light with Jesus, or you walk in the darkness and you stumble. Only two choices. John wrote, also in 1 John 1, 
Verse 6 and 7, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Doing God's will requires walking in the light. So walking in holiness. The second part of that is walking by faith. As I've said, Jesus' aim here was to increase the faith of his disciples and of Martha and of Mary. Faith often requires taking risk in obedience to God to further his kingdom. It's not always easy to know when it is wise or when it's uh, wise to flee uh, or when it's faith to stay and face danger. You see, godly men, including the Lord Jesus, did both. And there are some of our missionaries that are doing both as well. So, probably this message would apply to us in different ways this afternoon. Some may need to surrender your life to Jesus. That's a starting point of using your time rightly so you don't waste your life. Others may need to sort out your priorities. What does it mean for you to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Maybe you need to just take some time next time you have an opportunity to take a pencil and paper out and write down some goals that would help you to move in that direction. But don't let your life be a waste. Make it count for eternity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you.